OT Uncorked, where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. Today's episode features Laura Park Figueroa. You might recognize her name from her podcast, Mind Your OT Business, or from the OT Entrepreneur Summit that just happened in May of 2020, or from her nature-based pediatric practice called Outdoor Kids OT. As an entrepreneur and business coach, Laura is really paving the way for other OTs to pursue an entrepreneurship path in their own careers, and so this is an episode you are not going to want to miss. Before we get there, though, I do want to tell you that next episode of OT Uncorked, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be answering listener questions, so if there's something you've been wondering about me, my career, the podcast, anything at all, I'd be happy to answer that for you. So find me on Instagram or Facebook at OT Uncorked, send me a message or an email at Miranda at OTUncorked.com, and I will be sure to answer that question during the next episode. All right, let's just get into the episode with Laura. I think you're going to love it. So Laura, I'm really, really excited to have you on the show today. I've been a fan of your podcast and we are just on the tail end of the OT Entrepreneur Summit. So I'm excited about entrepreneurship and OT and I'm thrilled with what you're going to share with us today. I am excited about entrepreneurship too. And I'm so thankful to have the chance to be here that you invited me. It's just, it's going to be such a fun conversation. I can't wait. And before we get started, you know, because it's OT Uncorked and we're uncorking some really awesome topics today, things that um, I I feel like I don't, I hear a lot of discussion about and murmuring, but I don't get a lot of answers about. So I'm really Hmm. looking forward to getting some sort of answers and a little bit more clarity in these areas. But because we also uncork a bottle of wine, um, why don't you tell me what you're drinking today? And then at the end of the show, we'll kind of give our review of it. Okay. I am drinking. This is funny. I was joking with you before we started recording here that I'm not really a wine connoisseur, so I don't know how I'm supposed to present this, but I'm drinking a 2018 Sauvignon Blanc by Joel Gott. And the story behind that is that I know that Joel Gott wines are pretty good. So anytime I'm in the store and I'm overwhelmed, I just kind of look for the name Joel Gott and I go get it. (laughs) And also it's like California. So, you know, I'm trying to support my local-ish businesses. So yeah, it's good. I like it. It's very no, good. It's really, I like Joel Gott a lot. And you're right. It's kind of like an easy go-to. You know, it's going to be pretty good. So right. it's a good one. Affordable too. It's not expensive. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am also drinking actually a 2018. Um, it's a red, but it's also from California. And it's called Gnarly Head, which is another one of those what I kind of call them like table wines. I oh. It's just one. It's like a good go to. Um, nothing crazy special, but it's a good red blend. Um, and it's called Authentic Red. Okay. And at the end of the show, we'll kind of review it, let people know what we think of the wines we chose. And I'll share how this wine connects to the show. Okay, cool. Gnarly head. Hmm. How will that connect to the show? Don't worry. That's the part that does not. (laughs) Laura, you're going to be thinking the whole show. What what does that say about me? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Don't worry. That part we just ignore. It's it's what's on the back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm really interested to hear more about kind of your OT journey, because if we start kind of with where you are now, and I want you to share that too. You do so much. You have kind of a hand in everything, and um, particularly in the entrepreneurship space. So I actually want you to start with where you are now, and then I'd love to kind of rewind to how you started and got to that point. Okay. So right now, I am spending 
most of my time doing three things, four if you count my children. <laughs> Everyone's always like, oh, and you have kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. the kids. Oh, yeah, I forgot about um, that. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about work here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on that. So um, I am in a PhD program at Texas Women's University where I'm studying nature-based therapy, primarily pediatric nature-based OT. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I also am running my private practice, Outdoor Kids OT, and it's a local nature-based practice here in California. And then I'm also focusing on the entrepreneurship piece of things, which has, you know, in recent years, I've just realized is I feel as though it's my true calling in life. I just love it so much. And last year started the Mind Your OT Business podcast and am focusing on putting out an episode every month for that to share entrepreneurship related content to empower OTs to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. That's my little tagline. So um, and, and I'm doing this summer, actually it starts on Monday. Um, we're recording this last week of, of May and it starts in June, my first group coaching program. So um, really exciting. There's 25 people in it and we're going to go through how to set I, I'm calling it business bedrocks because I liked kind of the nature element. You don't have to be a nature-based person to be in it, but um, but really the the point is to set those bedrock foundations of systems in your business and the areas of mindset, operations, finances, and marketing. So it's a program where I want people to do things to really spend the time working on their business, so that once the program's over, you've you've really gotten some traction and developed some of those foundational systems in your business in those areas. And yeah, I think that's about it. But it's it's funny. People always say, oh, you do so much. How do you do? And I, I'm kind of like, the thing is, my big thing as an entrepreneur is I think the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that you can craft your life how you want it. And I have a full-time job doing all three of those things, but none of those in and of themselves is my full-time job right now. So they all feed each other. You know, the 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 work in my PhD program really helps me establish the foundations for the approach we use that I developed for our nature-based therapy. Helps me know the research, helps me learn to think critically. The the entrepreneurship stuff helps feed my business. I mean, it all kind of just yeah. It it it's symbiotic in a way. It all kind of feeds one another. So Well, and I think there's this consistency too with everything that at least that I know of that you're involved in, where it's very, okay, I'm going to give away the wine a little bit now. It's very authentically you, you know what Hmm. I mean? It's called Authentic Red, so that's how it connects. Oh, Um, yay. I love it. (laughs) But there's there's more later. I love Um, it better than gnarly. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's called the Authentic Red. It's gnarly. It's just the winery. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) But everything you do really does connect and it's very much you. You have not, from what I can tell, sought out businesses just to make money. It's right. you're, see- you're seeing where you have value and you're seeing where people need that value. You know, they need what you can bring mm-hmm. and you're able to monetize it. And so it becomes a business and you are very entrepreneurial, but it's not like you have all these random different things you're involved in. They are, like you said, very symbiotic and, and it all makes sense right. together. Yeah. Yeah. The consistency of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. It's something that when we start businesses, we have to think about is like, what are your values and what are you going to stay true to, you know, because it's so easy. We all as entrepreneurs have that shiny object syndrome, you know, like the next greatest thing, what are we going to do, you know? And 
the more you can resist that and really establish from the very beginning what your values are going to be, what the purpose of your business is going to be, it helps you stay focused and and move forward even when there's like a million other things you could be doing, you know? Right. So absolutely. But, you know, I actually think that a lot too, even for people, I'm not technically an entrepreneur. I don't make money from anything besides my main job that someone else employs me right. to do. But that space is really interesting to me, and I definitely can see that as a direction I want to head in. Mm -hmm. But I think even just in normal life, even I reflect, and maybe listeners can reflect too a little bit on if one person from every, quote, area of your life got together in one room, how much would you kind of be panicking and nervous? Or how much would you just be totally at ease because in all of those circles of people and all those areas of your life, you're just, you are you. Like, I am Miranda in all of those Mm. settings, and whatever that means is consistent across all of them and there would be no kind of surprises or trying to not get people to talk to each other. So I think that's like something I think about a lot too. That's interesting. I I mean, I think that goes along with entrepreneurship too. And in the summit, what we've, you know, a lot of people in the, in the private Facebook group we have had, had been talking about how so much of what they learned was really about showing up and being authentically themselves and not feeling like you have to be like someone else, that you can be yourself and be a business owner. And it's just, so empowering and encouraging and inspiring. I mean, I think it goes right along with what you were just talking about, you know, just showing up and being authentically who you are. There's only one you in the world. That's actually what I say. And one of my first emails I send to people is like, there's only one you and your business needs to be unique too, just like Mm -hmm. you are in order to, to know what you're, the value you're offering to people, what unique value are you offering? You know? So so true. And I want to get more into that later as well. Yeah. Before we do though. So I think it can be easy to look at all the things you're involved in. You also have a book, right, that you wrote that kind of describes your approach, the Contigo approach, right? Yeah, it's it's more an activity. I mean, there is a little bit about the Contigo mm-hmm. approach in it. Contigo stands for Connection and Transformation in the Great Outdoors. Mm-hmm. And it is an approach that that I developed to help guide our practice at Outdoor Kids OT in alignment with research and evidence and theory. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there is a manual for that approach, but you get it by coming to the training that I offer. So so that's not like publicly available, but the book that I wrote is more, you know, use it right away kind of content. It's not a lot of theory. It's a little intro to the Contigo approach, a couple pages, but the majority of it is activities to do with children. Mm-hmm. I started taking really good notes as soon as I started working outdoors with kids, like what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And only the stuff that works made it into the therapy in the great outdoors book. <laughs> so it's more an activity <laughs> book for people who want to work outdoors with children, but just kind of want to have right at their fingertips something to tell them what works with kids, especially kids that we work with as therapists, um, because I found many of the books that were out there were like, you know, 40 steps and maybe not, I'm exaggerating, but just so complex, you know, and I wanted something that was for the kind of children that we work with, where you could very easily modify or adapt the activity for different Mm -hmm. skill levels. So yeah, that's what it is. I forgot about the book. Yeah. I was going to say, I love it because we just uncovered the book and then also that you teach your, yes, your content. We had to cancel the training in May. It was so sad because of coronavirus. Um, And I'm knock on wood, a little worried about the fall one. We have one scheduled in September. So, um, and we have people registered. I think there might be like eight people registered already. So we'll see. I I don't know, you know, it may be that we run it smaller, Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a four day retreat for people to learn 
you know, it more in depth about the Contigo approach. And it's a lot of hands-on learning about, you know, setting up tree swings and how to use knives with kids and building fires and the kind of stuff that we know is awesome and engaging for kids as OTs. We know this, right. (laughs) But, but that it feels a little daunting when you go outdoors to just sort of learn all that all in one fell swoop. So it's the stuff I wish I'd known when I first started. That's essentially everything I create is like, what could help people? (laughs) Right. And um, why do they they don't need to then go back and kind of relearn everything you've already learned. You can kind of provide it in a much more cohesive, synthesized way with that. And they can learn from your. Exactly. What's your phrase? Fail learn? Fail learn is that what you say? Oh yeah, fail learn. learn I made that up a couple of years ago. <laughs> like it. a failure that you learn from. Yes, a fail yeah. learn. I was cracking up. People were using that in the summit Facebook group. Like oh, yeah. fail yeah. learn, blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, I just have to weigh in and say really thank you that you're on. using this as an actual word. <laughs> it's not in the dictionary, guys. <laughs> but it I love it. I love it. It feels a little bit funny because like I listen to your podcast. You know, we're a little bit connected on social media, and I mm-hmm. attended the summit. But I feel like I know way too much about you. <laughs> I'm like, what's that phrase you always say? And it's like, we've never met. <laughs> it's okay. I love it. I, I so actually sorry, love, <laughs> it's not at all. I love, this is the thing that I, I really, I'm glad you said that because it brought up a thought in my mind that I don't know if we would have talked about otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that is that I think OTs, people, entrepreneurs, anyone in general can get over their fear of social media if they just look at it like connection. It, it's not about promoting yourself. It's not about like comparing yourself. It's about connection with other people. And I cannot describe to you how many incredible OTs I have met through primarily Instagram, but even Facebook too. Facebook and Instagram are kind of my two that I've decided to focus on. I feel like my life has been so enriched by people I have never met in real life. Mm -hmm. That's what's crazy to me, you know, like, and it's not about like, hey, come to my training or, hey, buy my book. That's mm-hmm. not why I'm there. I mean, I really feel like I'm getting just as much from from meeting other people online. So there's a real, that that was a real paradigm shift for me when I started to realize that that th- you, can, you can have real friendships with people online. And maybe this is not rocket science to other people, but for me, it was like a light bulb moment. Like this has really changed how I think about this, like that it's connection. You know? Right. I, you know, I have heard of people who, you know, through video gaming have made friends. So for example, my fiance, um, I'm going to put him on the spot here. He <laughs> made, has made a ton of friends all around the world through gaming. And I always thought that was so odd. And I thought, how do you even do that? But until I joined sort of this online OT community and really started to meet, meet yeah. people, um, I didn't understand it, but it really can happen. And I used to use social media more so to connect with people I already knew. Right. right. So to keep up with people I already knew, but yeah, it's been so, so, you said it enriching to make friends through social media that have yep. so many of the shared values and what they're posting is really quality content, even if they're yes. not really considering themselves content creators, right? Right. It's just, they're genuine OTs and they're sharing things with the world and I love it. So it's been a great uh, way to connect. Yeah. And it's made me love our profession even more. I know. Like when I just see how many amazing humans there are in our profession. It's, it's so exciting. I, I love it. So feel so thankful. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. I am too. I feel like these connections are just going to continue. And even though AOT was canceled this year, that's usually the chance to catch up with all these online friends, but you know, we, now we zoom and um, still find ways to connect and it's, it's pretty cool. 
Next but year I, will I be even think... better. Yeah. Oh, oh, we're, it's going to be crazy. It's good. Yeah. I think we're there's going to be overdue. a lot of people at AOTA next year. Like, I think so too. So I'm excited. And it's in San Diego, so it's in our state. I can't wait. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. I just was at a marketing conference at the San Diego Convention Center, and it is oh. a beautiful, it's just, it's going to be so fun. I can't wait for next year. Okay, I'm already counting down. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> So one thing though, with, uh, you know, we're talking about social media and how yeah. we can really connect, but there's other, you know, times where we see other OTs on social media doing awesome things mm-hmm. and we think, well, I could never do that. Yeah. Um, that is just, I, you know, out of my league. And, and they maybe sort of think, for example, looking at you, they might say, oh, I, she has all these different business ventures and she has a book and she has her own approach already. And she's working on a PhD. I could never do that. It's sort of this immediate write-off where that's yeah. a Laura thing that's impressive, but not a me thing. So I want to hear a little bit more of your backstory. So, you know, when did you become an OT? What did that look like? And how did this all progress? So we can kind of hear a backstory yeah. that maybe feels a little bit more relatable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I would say the first thing that came to mind when you said that is it it has it's funny. There's so many things about my podcast that that are things I do every week on the pod, like the, the little taglines I say or whatever, mm-hmm. that from the very first episode I said, and I am only now realizing like how near and dear to my heart they actually are and how mm-hmm. I just cherish those moments to say that to the audience every single week. And one of the things mm-hmm. that that came up for me when you were saying that was that thing I say at the end of every episode, I sign off every episode by saying small steps make great gains over time. So until next time, mind your OT business. So that small steps make great gains over time. That is the mantra I live by, literally. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you take a small step forward and then that's going to lead to another step forward. And some days you're going to feel like it's like 12 steps back, you know, and then <laughs> a couple more steps forward. And, but you just keep keep taking those steps and walking through those doors and, and putting yourself in the presence of people who are kind of on that same mission as you and walking that same path with you. Um, and you'll be shocked when you look back at what you were able to accomplish. So I would start with that, but I would say, um, I think for me, the most, the, the most like starting point or poignant memory that I have, um, when I think back about just how I got to where I am is that I didn't even know, I didn't grow up in the outdoors. I didn't grow up like loving the outdoors, Um, My family was not outdoorsy (laughs) and I was in college at the rec center and I hopped on a Stairmaster. Remember those? I don't even know if they still have those in gyms. And on the, on the little magazine display on the Stairmaster was a backpacker magazine. And I, I like started flipping through it because I was bored and because it's a Stairmaster. (laughs) It was a Stairmaster. Come on. Right. And, um, and I, I started flipping through it and I, I literally, it was like the world opened up to me. I was like, I didn't know that people did this. I didn't know that people put backpacks on and walked into these beautiful places. And I want to do that. Wow. And long story short, I ended up volunteering as a back, backpacking guide for a youth organization called Young Life. And for two summers, I postponed field work 
and my <laughs> my director of my program was not very happy about that. <laughs> I was I like, there's nothing, there's nothing in the documents here that say I can't choose to postpone. Like, and she was not happy. But um, but I remember because you know, I was just finishing OT school that second summer. I was I was heading into my field work. And I remember standing on top of a 14er, like one of the highest peaks in Cal- Colorado. And I remember thinking. I want to do something with OT and, and nature and the outdoors Mm -hmm. as my job. Like I remember having that moment. Right. And then, you know, I finished my summer. I came home. I ended up getting married in the next year. We had kids right away because my husband's 11 years older than me and he didn't want to be a grandpa age dad. And so (laughs) (laughs) love you, Jose. Um, And, and so we just, we had kids and then, you know, it was just life. Like I started working. I needed experience. I wasn't like, I'm going to start a nature-based practice right now as a brand new grad. And again, y'all have to remember, like, there was not the internet really back then. I mean, it was, you didn't have access to to information the way that new graduates Mm -hmm. do now. And so um, I'm not, I, I, I think in one podcast interview a while back, someone asked me, do you wish you'd started earlier? And I'm like, no, because I, I don't really have regrets about my experience as an OT. Um, I'll skip because this is getting long. So for like 15 years, I I worked in outpatient hospital settings. I did some work in the NICU. I did early intervention in the homes for a little bit. I contracted with Medicaid and I saw people. I had like a home-based practice where I saw people at home. Um, this was when we lived in Florida. And then we moved back to California and I started in school-based practice where I spent 10 years working for a public Um, a large urban public school district here. Mm -hmm. And um, by about year eight, I I got really burned out. I I joke I had my third child just so I could have a maternity leave because I was so (laughs) burned out on on work. I was like, let's have a baby. I I could, I could get some time off for that. You know, Um, when having a baby is the break that, you know, it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, so, but on that, I would say on that, I mean, I joke, but it's kind of funny that on that maternity leave was the first time that I really started doing research and reading books and like thinking about starting something. And I've always seen kids privately, like just the, you know, the extra, like a kid at school would say that they wanted to do private or whatever, and the district would say, be okay with it. So, but um but the difference between what I did when we lived in Florida and what I was doing, seeing private kids on the side was I was not thinking like an entrepreneur. You know, it was like I was an employee. It was a side gig that I had. And a side gig is different than thinking like an entrepreneur. Um, very different. Because as a side gig, you just kind of you're doing the work. You're probably providing a really great service. I know I provided quality services to people. It's not about the quality of the service. It's about how you're thinking about growing, scaling, marketing the business. Um, and I wasn't thinking about that when I had a side gig. You know, it was just like if kids came to me, great. Like sure. occasionally I would like, you know, say, okay, I'm going to do a handwriting group and have a couple kids at my house and do that. You know, like it wasn't formalized, mm-hmm. it was very low key. Um, and also I had really young kids. So that probably was the season that I needed to be in at that time. Um, but I really didn't find my, like my passion, what I wanted to invest all that time in until I remembered that nature dream I had, which mm-hmm. was 2015. I started kind of dabbling with outdoor, um, okay. outdoor OT services. And I started, I formally like stopped doing any indoor services in 2016. 
Um, and I, I pretty much just told everyone, like, I'm going totally outside. You can come with me if you want. Or there's these local people that I really love, like other OTs that I really love. And I'll send you to them um, in the clinic if you want to stay in clinic based. So um, when, when you say you started to dabble in um, practicing outdoors, at that point, you were seeing kids privately still as a side gig or did you transition to doing that more full time? Still as a side gig, but I was kind of on my way out of the school district. I, I okay. did my master. I did a post-professional master's from 2013 to 2015 while I was still working four days a week in the school district. And um, I remember I, I want to tell this story because I think this is I hope that this will encourage people that are listening. Um, I remember it was probably three or maybe four people that I spoke with in the school district. So I love, hear me, if any of you are listening, I love all of you, all the people I used to work with. They are amazing OTs, but this is the difference between thinking like an entrepreneur or thinking like an employee, right? Or like a therapist even. Um, They were all, all of them, like kind of surprised when I went back to school. Like, why, why would you want to go get your master's. Like you're not going to, you don't get a pay raise here if you get a master's. So why are you, why are you doing it? And by the time the third or fourth person asked me, I, I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, like, God forbid anyone want to better themselves. Come on, like, stop asking right. me why I'm doing this. You know, like, I mean, I kind of, I kind of got a little like, you know, I kind of probably I did, I did say it probably kind of like that, but um, <laughs> because I just, I just was like, you know, and it's, it's, it's evidence of like the people that you surround yourself with are, are going to limit you with their beliefs about what you should be doing, or they're going to push you onward to say, good for you going back to school to get your master's. Like, what are you learning? Tell us about it. Like, yeah. you know, instead of this. So it just, it's evidence of the toxic culture that existed in that work environment um, in many ways. And I'm not, not everyone that was there. I, I it, you know, right it was administration more than it was the people I was working with. But, um, mm-hmm. cause I truly love all of them. There is not one person there I did not like, but the, the context of a public, a large public educational system is challenging to work in. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think in many ways it aligns, but it, the same kind of thing aligns with being an entrepreneur. When you start out doing something, you feel nervous to put yourself out there um, no matter how confident you are, you feel nervous. And um, if you have people around you that believe in you, that's huge compared to people who are saying like, well, why are you doing this? That's just, why would you even need to do that? Like, you know, just kind of expressing those doubts because then they start to like fester mm-hmm. in your brain, you know? We have enough of those on so, our own. We really don't need yeah. to giving us more, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if I got to where, I don't know. What did I, now, now I'm like lost in my own story. Sorry. No, it's so good. No, this is all so, so good. I'm, I'm glad we're kind of like taking our time through this. Um, I think it's, it makes things really relatable. And I think it, like you said, small steps. Yeah. They really do add up over time. And I, I misquoted you, but something like that. No, you didn't. That was perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they really do add up over time. And so to see sort of your progression that, you didn't just poof become this entrepreneur who has all these different right. ventures. You really developed them over time and you kept checking in with yourself kind of about what am I doing now and does it really align with who I am and what I want to do? And you sort of scaffolded that all until now you're here and who knows what's next. But yeah, but it, it's been a process. So you, you opened up Outdoor Kids OT officially in, do you say 2016? 
January of 2016, I think, was the official okay. incorporation date. Okay. I had been doing a little bit before that, but just under my proprietor, you know, like my sole sure. proprietor as an OT or whatever. Um, and at what I, point did you actually start hiring other people to join your practice? So it was the year after that. I want to say I, mm. I hired people that fall. So 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, th- I think I have employees that have been just, just are now finishing their third year. Yep. Wow. So, and everybody works very, very part-time. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. not, I say all the time, like the reason, cause right now I run the practice probably with like 10 hours of my hands on time per week. Like oh, I'm okay. not, I'm not working because I'm doing the PhD, like something had to give. And I was like, all right, oh, I, yeah. I can't be seeing kids in the business and managing the employees and doing my PhD. So I'm not mm-hmm. seeing kids in the practice right now. I'm, you know, supporting the therapist when they have a volunteer out or I'm subbing for them or I'm going when they have a particular kid that they want a second pair of eyes on, you know, sure. things like that. Um, yeah. So right now, everybody works very, very part-time. So most of the therapists are running one group a week, like as a side gig, really, to their to their sure. main job. Um, and one of them is running two groups a week. So um, so we're small. And I like it that way. Yeah, like, great. like I actually don't, um, I, I've had people inquire about, like, could I start a branch of Outdoor Kids of Tea in some other state? And I'm like, oh, gosh, that's like, you know, <laughs> it's it like, I don't know if I can do that. So there's a lot of things like that where I feel like, Right now, um, something that's really challenging for me is remembering that I will have more time when my degree is done. You know, like right now I have to say like, now is not the time to scale Outdoor Kids OT to a multi-state model. Like, I don't know that that will ever happen personally, but um, but I, I'd much rather train people in the Contigo approach and say, use it as you will, go for it. You know, like, um, but I you know, just my entrepreneurial, I hate, I hate saying that word. Entrepreneurial brain is like, I'm like, Oh, but I could do it. You know, I could do this and I could do that. And I have to just be like, okay, now is not the time, you know, focus on Mm -hmm. what I need to be doing now. And there's always time. You have a lifetime of things that you can do as an entrepreneur. And that's one of the things that's really exciting to me about being an entrepreneur is there's no real limit to what you, in most jobs, there's a limit to kind of how far you can go or what you can do. There's like, you know, the container is there and there's regulations. I mean, we have to abide by our regulations for oh, our practice act and all that. I'm not saying ignore Including regulations. The important people. ones. <laughs> <laughs> the important ones. But we, we all can attest to that, right? As employees, that there's things that you don't have control over that when you're running your own business, you can say like, this is what true OT is to me. This is how I want to practice within the boundaries of our practice act, of course. So um, yeah, I don't know. I might've gone down a rabbit hole. Sorry. (laughs) No, do not apologize. I think it's great. Uh, I think what you're kind of describing there is to the freedom that comes with entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. But then you also emphasize the timing of that. And it seems like throughout your story, there was this theme of, well, it was the right time for me to leave that job. It was the right time for me to be able to work on this, this yes. business I was imagining. There's a time to go back to school. And you actually, as you've mentioned, you're working on your PhD. When did you start that? I started the PhD exactly two years ago now. Okay. So June of, of 2018. And I, it's, I'm, I'm hoping 
I'm hoping to finish. This is the first time publicly I'm saying this, so I'm yeah. a little nervous. But I'm hoping to finish by December of next year. My goal originally was May of 2022, but I'm thinking okay. that I'm probably on track to finish if all goes as planned with my dissertation research. Um, I might be able to finish by December of 2021, and that would just be it feels like it's next year, you know, it just feels yeah. so close. Like, <laughs> uh, but I do, I, I do have to say, like, I, I actually started in an OTD program. Um, okay. I took one class and I had this like light bulb moment in the middle of it where I just knew that if I did not do a PhD, I was going to regret it forever. Mm, and yeah. I, because I really wanted to learn how to do research. Um, right. And I, you know, honestly, like, Sorry, TWU, if you're listening, people, I'm probably not going to be like an academic researcher. Like that's not what I see myself doing after I finish my degree, much to their sad <laughs> realization, yeah. probably because they want people to publish. Right. Sure. But what I what I decided because and I only realized that like I'd say like in the last year or so when I left mm -hmm. teaching because I was teaching in an OTD program, um, a local program here. And when I left that job and, and said, like, I wasn't going to teach anymore, I, I, I scaled down my hours significantly last year. And for this coming year, I've, I've said, like, I'm not I'm not going to teach anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and when I did that, I, I quickly realized that, like, wait, I, I really don't. There's nobody telling me I have to do this Ph.D. now. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. I mean, it's literally like just because. Mm -hmm. I have to be self-motivated to finish it. It's like literally about my personal goal now to do it. Um, but I, I feel really strongly that finishing it is, is a life goal for me. It, it's not for anyone else really at this point. There's no institution telling me I have to get it. I have learned so much about how to think critically, how to design research in a way that is robust, you know, that is, mm -hmm. is good research. Um, I feel like I'm not being really articulate right now, but I just, I've, I've gained so much from, from the experience of, of the, just the coursework in the program. And, and I love the idea that next year I get to do original research. Like I am actually going to be able to do original research on an area that I am so interested in studying. So it doesn't feel like heavy to me. It feels really exciting and fun. Um, uh -huh. But I have to sit for these big exams in the fall. Those don't feel very fun <laughs> and exciting. Yeah, but those, the qualifiers um, are pretty intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I have a binder that's like literally a five inch binder full of articles that we have to like know and be able to cite off of memory. I mean, it's like I, I just... I'm trying. I'm panicking as I think about it. Deep breaths right I'm now. I'm like sweating a little bit hearing you talk about yeah. it because as you know, I'm also in a PhD program. So this is all very real to me yes. too. <laughs> yes. It's, it's just, it's intense. Yeah. yeah. And, and you so, bring up these points about just the benefits of going back to school, both for your master's and for your PhD. And, and like you've mentioned, you don't have a boss telling you you need to get a PhD because you are your own boss. So you don't have a school telling you that you can't keep teaching. And, you know, I don't know if that was right. a situation for you, but in a lot of uh, schools, you kind of need to be actively working on a higher degree to be an instructor there. So that might be a situation other listeners are in. But there are so many benefits. And, and you also mentioned kind of the exciting part about it. And I really want to just repeat that and reflect it a little bit because a lot of people think this the PhD is this dense, heavy, just you're digging into the philosophy and 
can't be fun. But really, by the time you get to a PhD, you are driving your own experience. Yes. And you choose what you're learning. You're not following a very strict, confined curriculum because there's not standards that they need to match as far as uh, like the ACO standards that we have right. for OT. They, they don't need to prepare you for a clinical position. You're, you're already prepared for that. And so you really get to drive the path that you want to uh, kind of create for yourself. And the research you get to do is exciting because it's your brainchild. It's what you are excited about and you get to put it on paper and share with other people. So yes. I want to put in a little plug for PhDs. They're not for everyone, but they are a great option to consider. Yeah. And I do think, I mean, I, I actually often encourage people who ask me the question of, should I do an OTD or a PhD? Well, yes, most people know that the difference is that an OTD is more clinical practice and a PhD is more research. But what I would say is that in our profession, particularly in OT, we need more people who are trained as researchers. We need that. I mean, it's, it's, and, and it's not saying I'm not trying to offend people. I don't want people to hear me say OTDs can't do research. They can, sure. but the purpose of the degree is not to teach you how to do research. It's to teach you how to develop for an OTD. It's to teach you how to develop a program or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A, a specialty area of clinical practice. You know, the, the PhD, the purpose of that degree is research and the the benefit to that i think is that even just even if you're like me and you don't think you're going to be like a researcher forever in the world you know i i love that i will have my degree and i will have had that training to be able to partner with other people who might want to research my model in my practice you know or whatever like it mm-hmm. it it doesn't mean if you're not going to teach it's you can still benefit from the the rigorous process of critical thinking that your brain has to do throughout the coursework in a PhD mm-hmm. program that's training you to do research, if that makes sense. And yeah. um, it's the it's the thinking, it's the writing, it's those skills that you have to just keep practicing and using and they apply to all areas of life. And yep. once you start kind of honing those skills a little bit more, you just realize how much more there is for you to learn and to grow. And so that can be applied beyond research if research isn't your long-term track but yeah. having that not having that experience I think is is so valuable for people uh, even if they're not going that route yeah and I would say I think I I think I've mentioned this to you and before we recorded or maybe in pre I think we talked about this on Instagram maybe that's how we scheduled this interview <laughs> yes is that I, I one of my soapboxes that I get so angry about is when I hear entrepreneurs like I listen to a lot of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. content like podcasts and I read books I I'm just I'm voracious at reading books I love reading it's like my favorite thing to do and um you kind of need that if you're in a PhD program by the way <laughs> there's so much reading um <laughs> So but <laughs> but I, I definitely, I kind of bristle when I hear some people in the entrepreneurship space, not in OT, entrepreneurship, like people talking mm-hmm. about business. You will often hear people say like, boo to higher education, like you don't need a $100,000 degree to, to be an entrepreneur. You know, they, they mock mm-hmm. academics. Yeah. They mock the idea of going back and getting an advanced degree. And and while, yes, in some cases that might be true that you don't need an advanced degree or you don't need to go back to school, I also think that um, the hard work that you do in a doctorate program prepares you for the hard work of sticking with it when you don't feel like doing the work as an entrepreneur. Mm. And 
the time when I notice this the most, Miranda, is when <laughs> I am trying to format a stupid DOI number in a very long <laughs> reference list for probably like the 3000th time, you know, like on, on just trying to find where I kept it and make sure that it's right and like check the periods in the right place. All those yeah. tiny details that you have to do to submit a paper that is correctly formatted. Every time I do that, I have to remind myself, like, this is training me to do the hard work, to pay attention mm -hmm. to details, to follow a protocol, to follow a system. All of that is relevant to entrepreneurship. All of it. And and so I'm not saying there's not other ways you can learn it, but I also think that if you're in the right program for the right reasons and it aligns with, with how you're growing your business... Um, doing the work for an advanced degree is actually a good way to give yourself deadlines and and the structure that you need to actually accomplish a lot in your business. I mean, I established the foundations for my nature-based practice in my master's program. So the the legwork was done 2013 to 2015, you know, so it's, I don't yeah. know, it's been huge for me. And I, I swore I would never go back to school after I finished that master's degree. <laughs> and, then, and then I emailed, I emailed one of my good friends, Wendell, if you're listening, I love you, Wendell Lopez. Um, I emailed one of my good friends and I was like, guess what? I started a PhD, you know, <laughs> it's like not surprising. You said you'd not never surprising. go back, but no, never but, say um, never. But yeah. And so you're mentioning this idea that in sort of the business entrepreneurship community, again, not specifically OTs, but just this whole broader entrepreneurship community, there's this sort of disdain for academia. But then mm -hmm. I think sometimes we see it too in academia where, yes, yes <laughs> you're I'm nodding, nodding a lot. I'm <laughs> nodding here. <laughs> where we see it where there's, and in academia, it's really kind of beautiful because there's innovation that's happening there's creativity mm -hmm. and it's motivated oftentimes you know especially in our in our field I would say in yep. specifically it's motivated by just wanting to make a difference and you have that that space and that uh, ability to as long as there's funding really kind of explore right. the topics that are of interest to you and topics that are really going to influence others and that's so in line with OT and yet I see that these that entrepreneurship and academia sometimes kind of butt heads because in academia sometimes it comes across as if you're doing something to make money maybe your intentions aren't pure yeah. maybe what you're producing right we have to disclose anything when we publish a paper yeah. any conflicts of interest and and it almost like having a conflict of interest makes people question, why are you doing this? How good are your results? And so I see both sides yeah. to some extent, and there's definitely validity to both perspectives, but how have you kind of sort of navigated, you're in, you're in the thick of it right now, how have you navigated being an entrepreneur while also sitting in this academic environment? Well, I left <laughs> academia. That's what I did. <laughs> um, okay. I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but I do think that... Um, I was doing too much. Let's be real. I mean, I sure. could not teach and grow my business. And I, I saw that teaching was really holding me back from being able to do more in the entrepreneur space, like do coaching programs and things that I wanted to do for, for OT entrepreneurs. Um, so I was doing too much. Let's just be real about that before I say this. But um, a real, I can't think of a better term, nail in the coffin moment. I don't know. <laughs> burying yeah. me and um, was was when I wrote a very well-written IRB for um, a study that we wanted to do in my practice this summer with some of the OTD students who are doing their capstone in my business. And um, 
the the feedback from the IRB was great. They said it's a very well-written IRB, you know, a few little tiny things that needed to be fixed. But I was not allowed to do the study because one person on the IRB committee, IRB is Institutional Review Board, if you're not in academia, all research that is approved, it has to go through this process to make sure that human subjects are protected. It is a good process. It is a process that needs to be in place. I am not knocking the IRB process. However, in this situation, I felt it was very unfair. Um, They would not allow me to do the research because I was the owner of the practice, even though I was completely blinded from all of the participants. Mm. Um, There was another person who was going to transcribe everything. I wasn't going to see anyone who participated in in the research, but they said... Just because I was the owner of the practice, I could not be the primary investigator on the study. And I just, I, I, I felt so um, dis- just really disappointed. I had spent hundreds of hours. I mean, it was the first That's IRB true. I wrote, but I bit off way more than I could chew because it was three different types of interviews with like therapists, parents, and children and mm-hmm. all this. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. Um, But, and it's not to say, like, again, like, we can look at things like that and be like, what a waste of time. I spent hundreds of hours doing this, writing this 55-page document and submitting it, and now they're not even going to let me do it. No. You know what? The process of going through that, it's the same thing we've been talking about. Like, the process of the thinking I had to do to make sure every detail was there, to make sure that everything had been thought about, about how we're going to manage data and all that, it's only going to help me. My my dissertation is nothing like it at all. It's a completely different study, but it's only going to help me in the future, that process of having written it. So I just kind of had to chalk it up to, we're not going to be able to do this study. There's no way that they will let us do it. And we instead pivoted and just did program improvement instead, which does not require um, an IRB, but we also can't really, I maybe could publish a program improvement study. I'm not really sure. I didn't look into it very much, but, um, but without IRB, it doesn't feel as, um, robust. And we had to switch to surveys because of coronavirus making everything crazy this spring too. So we, we just simplified and it was okay. And I I still think we're going to, we're going to learn a lot in the process and all the foundation work was done. But basically what, for me, I was like, you know, I, I don't think that in the institution, in the institutional setting, I'll actually be able to do the research that I want to do because ultimately what I want to do, which is not going to be my dissertation, the best <laughs> dissertation is a done dissertation. This means yes. don't bite off more than you can chew for your dissertation. And I have listened to the advisors who have told me this. And, and don't um, keep changing it, right? That's what I've heard. Yeah. Well, I, I, I originally wanted to research the Contigo approach. Like I wanted to do outcomes efficacy research to say like, does this, does this actually make change in children? Cause we think it does. We see that kids goals are met. Um, but, but I wanted to systematize that and actually publish it so that it is legit a recognized evidence-based practice. Right. Right. Um, and I'm realizing that that's probably more my life work than it is like my dissertation. Um, and just having my degree, like once I get it, I think there is enough interest in nature-based therapy that another PhD student somewhere else in the world might want to do their research in my practice and I could partner with them to do it, you know? So, um, so I'm hoping that that will transpire, but That was just my experience. You know, my experience was um, when I was in academia, not many people really understood the work I was doing as an entrepreneur. Like 
they they didn't understand um i i felt misunderstood uh, the same way i do sometimes in our profession like people in our profession don't understand what it means to think like an entrepreneur right so right. um there's just a mismatch you know in academia it's it's this very high level thinking oftentimes very theoretical and i really want research to be like practical <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. And like applicable to change how we practice. Um, and I think it's hard in academia sometimes to do that kind of research. But sorry, I'm, I'm going all kind of directions with this no, question. It's, it's but, awesome. Um, no, and, and I think, too, something that I want to kind of highlight there is that those partnerships are crucial. Mm-hmm. The researchers I know that are making waves and really producing research that's valuable to the therapists. Yeah. I think there's a lot of valuable research happening. It's just not always valuable to OTs are the ones who are asking for input from OTs and not just afterwards, but in the idea stage where they're just starting to kind of conceptualize what this study yeah. could look like throughout the whole process, getting OTs involved. Those are the studies I think that are having a lot of impact. So people don't necessarily need to have a PhD to engage in that research, but there are the, those other benefits right. that you've talked quite a bit about Um yeah, so I think that there should be a lot more collaboration between clinicians and researchers, but also entrepreneurs. And I feel like that's maybe where we're still lacking um, because you have access yeah. to so much you know, data, not to make it sound so cold, but you have opportunities to do really impactful research with the people that you work with, um, with the clients that you have, uh, and studying your approach. But there's those sort of institutional barriers that get in the way. Um, so I think that is kind of tough tough waters to navigate and the same thing with industry as well right mm-hmm. so people who are exploring non-traditional roles in ot out in industry and um, they're also kind of facing some of these same issues i am wondering with that i just want to ask you if you've had any experience with non-competes i ask because there's a lot of people who uh, maybe are in an industry in healthcare in academia and they want to do something but they're all at non-compete conflict of interest legal stuff gets really confusing yeah, I can't say um, comparing like academia to my business. I didn't have any non-compete signed like with mm-hmm. I, I don't really know why you would with with if I'm working for a local university, they don't they're not competing with me for services or anything like that. Right. But but I would say um, what is important for people to think about if they are going to start a business, you have to think about your current employer. So this maybe more relates to like people who are employed, like at a clinic or at a, you know, even a school district, you know, where you're providing a a service, you have to make sure that it's okay for you to start that side gig as an official business, you know, like where you're going to be marketing and, and trying to find clients and maybe, marketing and finding clients from the same pool of people that that clinic that you work in is. Mm-hmm. So I actually, in my practice, because I knew that from the start that I wanted to kind of develop this as a model or an approach to help other therapists do this too, not necessarily to like franchise the model and, and mm-hmm. you know, have a bunch of little tiny OKOTs all over the United States. I don't want that. Um I want people to to take the approach and use it as they might in their own nature-based practice in their mm-hmm. own business. And um, because I knew that, that that was kind of the vision from the beginning, I have my employees sign a non-compete 
clause with with my business. So okay. my employees sign a, I, I you know, it, and it's kind of, I, I can't even remember the name of it now. It's like a, maybe it's called a confidentiality and something agreement. I don't, I should have looked this up before the interview. I look so professional, <laughs> don't I? Totally know what I have my employees sign. Okay. Um, <laughs> But but basically, it's a, they sign a non-compete, of course. But right. then there's also a basically saying like you can't take what you learn at Outdoor Kids OT and then go down the street and start your your right. outdoor OT practice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. And they sign that. But then I also have them sign documents. The one I can't remember the name of exactly, saying like what you work on in this practice is for the practice, right? It's like owned by Outdoor Kids OT. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're, I mean, I didn't even mention this earlier, but I'm super excited because we're, we're so close to launching. We, during the coronavirus, when we did not have clients to see, like we, we came up with ideas of things we could create to help other therapists get outdoors with kids. So So we've created these, this is the, the, this is an official announcement. I don't even know if it's been said anywhere else. (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, it won't be on my podcast, but, um, but, but basically we've created, like a one page front and back nature-based treatment plan um, f- to address different skills in kids. So we've, you know, some are for coordination and they're mostly motor skill mm. activities and some are for sensory, reg- sensory processing and self-regulation. Um, some are for social skills, oh, some are so for cool. creativity and confidence, you know? So we have these different categories, which align with our values. They go back to like mm-hmm. what we actually work on in the business because telehealth we're doing some of it, but that's not our values, right? We're not sure. screen-based therapists. It's the um, <laughs> right. It's the whole opposite. So we use this time to create like content and it's been a lot of work, a lot of people working on it, but I am so proud of it. I mean, I, I, I cannot wait for it to be out in the world for therapists to use because it is literally like what I wish we've produced, I think it's, I think we have 32 of them. So it's like a year's worth of, if you buy the whole pack, you have a year's worth of sessions planned. Like you, you can just print that document and take it with you. The supplies are there. The directions are there. We have like a little question of the day that you can ask the kids. We have ideas for snack. We have a space to write the schedule for the day. And then we have a space for like therapist reflection on things that happen. So it's just, it's like our whole model and like a little two page sheet. And it's so exciting. Um, So, so that's what I mean. Like, like you think like an entrepreneur, you start to develop stuff like that. You know, I, I can't even remember what your question was. Like if if this was a side gig, you probably would just wait out the coronavirus and then see if people are still interested, but you are adapting and you have people that work for you, even if they're part, very part-time. Right. Like you have people that count on their employment with you. Yes, absolutely. Degree. And and you have a responsibility to them and that entrepreneur mindset, you know, initiates that sort of adaptation process. Of, All yes. right, here's what we've got. Here's what we've got yes. report right now. It's not ideal, but what can we do? And it right. sounds like out of that came some really good innovation. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Product that and will last beyond the coronavirus. Yes. That's where, that's what it was, Miranda. That's mm. what it was. It was, so the, the idea of that is that like, because they signed that agreement before, like none of them are like putting their name as author on this treatment plan, right? Mm -hmm. They're produced by the business. The business has produced these, like my name's not on them either. You know, like it's not saying by Laura Park Figueroa. Um, It's, it's a product of the business that they've been paid to help create. So some Mm -hmm. of those ideas on there and students helped us do it too, but their names aren't going on the, you know, it's, it's a product of the business that they helped create. Um, and it's, it's kind of one of those things that is covered in their new employee documents that says there might be activities we do in the business that are, you're creating content that is for the business. And 
the benefit to this is exactly what you just said, is that it's ongoing revenue. It's once it's up on our website, it's ongoing revenue for a couple years, probably until we maybe do another iteration or another group of them or whatever. Um, the, the challenge has been that right now it's like eating a lot of money from the business that we're not right. getting, you know, like we got to get these on the website now today, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, not really, but, but yeah, pretty soon we yeah. do. Um, no, but, but it I mean, is it's an, like, it's an investment of your time and resources, but yes. you, you know that this is valuable and yeah. that monetizing it down the line will, will more than compensate for the uh, investment now, which again is like that entrepreneur mindset. If I feel like if it's a side gig, too much investment tends to not be super responsible. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're just but, kind of flying by the seat of your pants, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we yeah. all do that. Even as an yeah. entrepreneur, we you do that do. sometimes. <laughs> but I think, I think like that's where to thinking about like what as an entrepreneur, you should think about value. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing with, I'm just thinking about on the topic of these nature-based treatment plans, um, the value that that is offering to someone who, even an experienced therapist, who maybe has a lot of stuff in their bag of tricks, right? Like the value that that pack of treatment activities Mm -hmm. gives to any therapist, not even just OTs, physical therapists, speech therapists, mental health practitioners, like special educators who might be running forest schools. You know, I mean, there's so many people that this can apply to. Um, The value that gives to them is so much more than the price that we're, and we're going to charge like a, a good amount sure. for it. I mean, it's not going to be a $10 item, right? But sure. the value, and I think the more you can communicate and think in terms of the value that you are offering your clients, even if you're doing a side gig, even if, yeah. you know, thinking about the value you're offering, not about the time for money. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge shift. I think when you start to think like an entrepreneur, you're thinking about value that you're offering, not about the minutes that you're working and how much money that you're, that you're getting paid. And, you know, right. um, that time for money thing is a big, you'll hear it in a lot of entrepreneurial spaces. Like people talk about it a lot, but when we can think about the value we're offering, it makes price a little irrelevant, really. Like people will mm-hmm. pay for things that they really, really value. And, sure. and that's where I think the difference is, you know, getting back to like the difference between like academia versus entrepreneurship, there are many, but, or (laughs) employment versus entrepreneurship, like that idea of being able to create your own value and define your own value for what your service or product Mm -hmm. or offering is as an entrepreneur is why there is no limit on your income potential. Right. Because you create the value. You, you tell people what the value is. Um, and you don't have that control when you're working for a hospital and you have to bill the insurance or whatever. <laughs> like, right. Um, you're not you're not getting a pay raise if you tell your client that it's so much more valuable or whatever. Um, so yeah. So this brings up a really interesting point. We're talking about value, and I it's just partially this is just kind of the word that spurred on this question. But at the same time, I have this weird I don't know where it came from or when it when it kind of came up with this passion that. In OT, we talk about our distinct value. There was, there's this whole yeah. distinct value sort of – I have the page up here. It's this sort of movement. They started officially writing it in 2015, and it was a committee of people. Actually, a handful – two, I think, of them have already been guests on the show um, okay. who, who helped put together this statement. And the, the whole point of it, from my understanding, was to articulate the distinct value of our profession so that our clients really understand the value of us 
and other professionals and people even in industry outside of healthcare understand what OTs can offer. But here's where they're like, what really gets me. We really want to emphasize, I can tell I'm getting passionate. Um, yes, I'm so excited. I'm like, yes, I love like, this conversation. Like, <laughs> like we, like we can tell that we have this zinc value. We're excited about it. We want to share it on social media. There's all these, um, you know, movements towards sharing it with the world. But then when it comes to monetizing that value, we yeah. shy away and we say, oh, we can't do that because I'm, I'm supposed to be altruistic and compassionate. You, I yeah. can't monetize. I'm, if I monetize something that I believe has value, I'm withholding value from the world, you know? And you kind yeah. of see how that shift goes from like, we're so empowered that we have value to, we can't monetize that because it would be taking advantage of people. And there's this mindset that just, I don't think exists in other professions. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? It's, it's, oh, I have so many. I was like, I, literally when you were talking, I was like, I wish I had a pen and paper right here. Cause I have so many yeah. thoughts going through my head, but I want to listen to what you're saying, but I want to say, um, so the first thing, the first thing I always say, and people have probably heard me say this if they've listened to my podcast, cause I say it like a lot of episodes. If, if you do not make money in your business, you do not have a business, you have a hobby. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have to make money. The point of a business is to make money. The more money you make, the more people you can help. That's like an easy for people yeah. who are helpers, like a lot mm-hmm. of people in our profession are helpers. We want yeah. to help people. The majority, I mean all, I don't know, like 99.9% right. of us, like we we went into the profession because we want to help people and I think if you can frame your thinking to say the more money I make, the more people I can help. Like that's the first kind of keep that in mind when you're when you're pricing things, right? Um, also, I think this is this is you know I'm thinking along two lines here. My brain's going two different directions because I'm thinking about like my business as a business coach for therapists, and I'm thinking about my work as like running my private practice too, mm-hmm. specifically with a practice or a, a business where you're you're producing a product maybe or, or a service and you feel like as a helper, you don't want to like charge money for it. It's okay to charge money. And a way to get around that is to always say like, I offer scholarships or I offer discounts for people who can't afford and limit those. You know, it's okay to say I'm full. We have, we're full on scholarships right now. We can't offer more. You know, we, we offer 20% of our spots are for scholarships. Um, I don't advertise that on my website personally, um, because I think it decreases the value of the, of the service, um, Mm. for, for the bulk of people who are looking at the website. What I do trust is that if people really need the, the help, they contact us. And that has been true over the last four or five Mm -hmm. years that I've been doing this. They will email and say, I so value what you're doing. I would love for my child to participate in this. We can't afford the full, do you ever do scholarships? And then we have a conversation about that. And we have a process that we go through now. Um, We systematized it pretty well. Um, So, and we actually last year found a foundation that will give scholarship. they, They specifically give scholarship money for therapy to businesses to offer it for free to families. So you don't have to be a nonprofit for this foundation. So um, that's been a huge help for us. So I'd encourage people to look into their, you know, local area, like what foundations are there that are, Mm -hmm. even if you're not a nonprofit, um, you might be eligible to do things like that to like offset the cost. Um, But I, I, I do think that you have to, as a business owner, be concerned about the financial viability of your business. Um, And it, it's, it's not wrong to, to make money helping people. Mm -hmm. That's, 
Yeah. That's what I think we have to constantly remind ourselves, you know, that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think even in traditional settings, we are, we are making our companies, the companies that we work for, we are making them a lot of money. Right? Yeah. We only see a small portion of what we make, but we're not always, especially in larger practices or in hospitals, mm-hmm. um, we're not really on the insurance billing side of things. Even an outpatient, we know what their insurance is. We know what it covers. But when it comes to the actual dollar amount, a lot of times we don't really see that. And yeah. so we kind of can forget that what we're doing, they might be paying out of pocket for to some extent. They might have a That's substantial yeah. copay. They are, yep. they are paying and they see value already in what you're doing. Um, so I think since we're not on that side of it, sometimes it feels like we are just the helper and that people aren't paying for our services. I, right. Like we're not, we're not seeing yeah. the money part day to day. So I think it can, it can sort of allow us to sort of forget that our value is being monetized in a very big way. Yeah. We're yeah. not giving and services I, away for free. Right. And I think that we as like, I think OT entrepreneurs in specifically OT entrepreneurs have a kind of a responsibility to charge what we're worth because mm-hmm. only when a large group of us start charging what we're worth. And only when we start advocating (laughs) with these insurance companies that are usually paying pretty abysmal rates, honestly, like hospitals have volume, right? But a small private practice doesn't have that volume to generate income. Um, And I always use the example that in the state of California, my, if I wanted to take Medicaid and bill 97530, like their activities, Mm -hmm. um, I would get $44 an hour, $11 a unit. Now that's not every state, but that's California, right. you know, and I'm like, they, they, they reimburse more for sensory integration, but I don't know that they will even reimburse for that. You know, that's often a code that they won't reimburse for. So, so we have actually even losing money in that actively losing money. I couldn't pay yeah. my, my new grad mm-hmm. therapist. I couldn't pay with taxes mm-hmm. and all the stuff, you know, unemployment tax and all the things you pay on top of a, a, right. an employee salary. So it has not been, that has been why I have not gone down that road for my practice mm-hmm. because it it where I'm located, it does it it is easier for me to say we provide scholarships and and then process people that way who need the help. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um and I've lost a lot of money. I mean I've given away a lot of services the first several yeah. years of practice before we found that foundation, thousands of dollars, you know. Um but but I also think that it's part of the goodwill of being a local business, you know, like yeah. you want to help people that that really need it. None of us want to like gouge everyone we're not gouging people for our services like we want everyone to be able to access Mm -hmm. um but it's something every business owner has to think about how are you going to keep your business profitable that that is of of utmost importance um i this is a great story actually when i first first started my business i i met with a friend of mine who has her mba uh, Mm -hmm. one of my best best friends in the world love her and um, I said, okay, so my plan is, because I was still working in, in the large school district, right? Loved my work there because I served kids who did not have access to OT, right? In mm-hmm. in most other settings. And I said to her, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to like, okay, I'm going to start this summer camp and I'm going to, I'm going to give everyone free, like all the kids are going to be able to come for free. And she was like, <laughs> eh, and she made no. like this big X with her hands. And she's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. She's like, you are going to advertise you're going to charge a market rate for this camp. You can scholarship a couple kids. I'll give you that. But you mm-hmm. can't you can't give it away for free to everyone because first you need to get in the 
black. That's what they call it, right? When the numbers all match up and you're making money instead of losing money when you're in the red okay. or whatever. Is that like the neutral? Is that like the neutral? Yeah, black is yet? when like, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like a accounting term. Like if you're in the red, okay. it's like you're, you're, right. you don't have enough money. It's alert. But if you're in the black, it means like all the numbers matched up and you have okay. some profit left. Um, <laughs> I think that's my understanding of it. But basically she's like, you're going to get in the black, like it, where your numbers all match up and you're going to be making money. And then when your business is established financially, you do whatever the heck you want. You give away all mm-hmm. that profit. You get, you do whatever you want. You know, um, right. you, you will be more able to serve more people mm-hmm. in the future. If you actually establish a strong financial foundation of your business, when you first start out and that helped shift me. Cause you know, I was just brand new. Like, I just want to give everything away. Cause all these kids need it. And you know, she's like, no, no. no totally. <laughs> So I'm curious because I think for some of the people listening, they probably don't have their own businesses yet. Maybe they have a side gig, maybe they've got ideas, maybe they would more so consider themselves like content creators and they have value and they see that and they don't really quite know what to do with it. So I want to maybe talk through a practical example. You were talking about that resource pack that you and your employees are Mm -hmm. creating, that your company's producing and that you're going to be selling it. So from your perspective, tell me what it might look like if you were to give that resource packet away for free, if you were to charge, I mean, you gave the example, like it would never be like $10 because that was just worth so much more. But let's right. say you gave it away for free or you charge maybe 10, 15 bucks for it, or you charge the rate that you have identified as its true value. Yeah. Can you talk to me about how that's perceived from the client, how that affects you as a, as an entrepreneur, as the creator of it, and kind of what are the benefits of each level? Well, I would say that... Um, marketing is everything. I mean, you have to, you have to communicate the value to people. So it's not like I'm going to slap it up there and just put a price on it and expect people Mm -hmm. to understand the value. So I, I've spent a lot of time and it's not done yet. I've spent a lot of time writing the copy, the, the, Mm -hmm. now when we say copy, it's not like copywriting, like getting something copyrighted. So no one copy copies your work. When I say copywriting, I mean, writing, the words to sell to a customer. So that's another mm-hmm. kind of copywriting, but often people get them confused. So um, what's well, good. So and we learned about it at the summit too. So that's a little, yes, exactly. Next year if they didn't join. <laughs> totally. It's so important that all business owners learn good copywriting. Like how do you write to communicate the value of your service or product to a customer? Yeah. And so I think it's really important that you explain the, the value to someone. So I've worked really hard and it's not done yet on, on, on writing a quote unquote sales page that kind of explains the process we went through the literally hundreds of hours of, of us gathering the resources, making them in an easily digestible format for everyone to like quickly get out into the woods and work with kids as a therapist, you know, um, hundreds of hours of experience of the people who pulled together all of these different activities and making sure that we weren't like replicating too much and just all of the checks and balances that went on. Um, it's going to be stated much better than this because it's all kind of in my brain right now. I'm not reading it, but, um, but basically like letting people know that the process you went through to create whatever you're selling, um, I think is, is really important so that people understand the value. And I, I think you should always price things. Now, I've heard some people say you should price things like 10, they should get 10 times the value or whatever of, of whatever price you, you set on it. Right. Right. Um, but, but think about like people's time, like how valuable is your time? 
When I first started out as a nature-based OT, there were afternoons where I distinctly remember this This happened to me more than once where I was like, oh my gosh, I have group this afternoon. I don't know what I'm going to do. I would have to take a pen and paper on a walk around my neighborhood Mm -hmm. and just let my brain kind of like think of things to possibly do. Or I'd I'd like go on Google and try to find some, or I'd be paging through nature-based books, you know, like, like their activity, not therapy activities, but just like for school books or whatever, finding stuff that would never work for the kids. (laughs) But but basically like that's, that's time. That's people's time. Mm -hmm. And I I can't think of anyone in the world who doesn't value their time. You don't get it back. It's not like money. You can always make more money. Right. But, um, but I think, speaking to those like internal needs that people have to protect their time is a good example of how you can show someone the value of what you've created. Um, And about like people's perception, honestly, I, um, I'm getting better as an entrepreneur with, with not caring, like, like just saying, I know that this product is worth what what we are going to sell it for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, um, I'm not ashamed to put it out there at a price that, that I feel is a fair price. I'm actually, I think we're going to sell it a little lower to start like as a, a launch sale, you know, um, then get people talking about it and then, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, you can always do, that's the nice thing about having a product. You can always do sales. You can say like, it's our, you know, it's our summer sale of our, of our nature-based treatment packs for Mm -hmm. you to get ready for the school year or whatever you you do a sale in the summers whatever um so yeah i i think i think thinking about that value is really important and communicating that and learning how to communicate that and the people i love most for copywriting neville medora his last name is m e d h o r a he is hilarious hilarious and you will you will like actually when his emails come in your inbox you want to open them like how oh, often can so you good. say that, right? Not because often. he's funny and he teach <laughs> okay. he teaches in just like a really funny way. He draws like little stick figures to illustrate oh. things and um but it's all about copywriting and how to write for a customer and oh, like so and good. it's really great. He's awesome. A great resource. I don't I don't get paid by him or anything. I just right. love no, him. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I tell everyone about him. I'm like, he should be paying me, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um and the other one is Donald Miller, of course, his building a story brand one of the best books on copywriting, like how to set up your website and everything. It's, it's a fab. He has a podcast too, building a story brand podcast. And um, okay. so he's a link to all resource. of this that people can just click. Yeah, sure. And sure. Get yeah. All this. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. So I guess with that too, how do you decide what content you put out for free and what content you charge for? Because you do mm. provide a lot of free content. Your podcast is freely available and that, um, I know there was another event in the summit, another OT podcaster, Sarah Putt of OT for Life. Um, mm-hmm. You interviewed her about podcasting, and it's so true. To produce an episode of a podcast oh. is fifteen to twenty hours an episode, easily, easily. Yes, right. So it's not that a podcast is so easy to put together, and you're just throwing it out there for free because it barely took any time. It costs you money to put on a podcast. It costs all of us money, and it takes a lot of that valuable time. So how do you determine what you're going to put out for free and what you're going to charge for? I am so glad you asked this because this was like an epiphany I had yesterday and I oh, perfect I can't believe I I can't believe I hadn't thought of it before. And basically um 
I realized that I had been building the infrastructure for my group coaching program that's happening next week, starting next week, um, mm-hmm. this summer, for two years. Because I started wow. a I started an email list for entrepreneur therapists in 2018, so two years ago now, mm-hmm. and I was only just telling people like, "Hey, I'm I want to share free content with you about entrepreneurship because I'm obsessed and I love entrepreneurship yeah. and." And it's silly stuff. It's like, you know, here's how I track my receipts in Evernote. And here's how I blah, 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 whatever. (laughs) I mean, it was like very like behind the scenes kind of I'm anyone who knows me knows that I'm like probably a little too honest at times. And it can it can be a a kind of thorn in my side. (laughs) (laughs) But 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 I realized like it, it was suddenly like, oh, my gosh, wait, I have been giving people stuff for free. Like, mm-hmm. like, it's not like I just suddenly launched this group coaching program and it was successful. It, it successfully filled because, you know, I just suddenly launched it. No, I've, I've been doing work for two years yeah. to demonstrate been trust, right? Yes. Like building trust with people, like, yeah. like building relationships with people online. Like my, my in-person training for the Contigo approach that I did last fall, um, yeah kind of fed some people into my coaching program this summer, I noticed. So, um, you know, it, I think there's no quick path to building your brand and your, your, um, your network as an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, like there. And that's another thing in the entrepreneur space that really irks me is like this quick money kind of idea, passive income, all that. I mean, yes, you can you can think like an entrepreneur to create ongoing sources of revenue, to create multiple sources of revenue. But there's there's something to be said for small steps over time to make gains in your in your work as an entrepreneur. And so for me, it was like I started that email list when I started the podcast. I don't really remember. I might have had like 200 people on the email Mm -hmm. list, like just from I think I shared it probably in like the OT entrepreneur group on Facebook or something, you know, like I don't remember, or actually I put it on the outdoor kids OT website. That's where I had a link to it. I said, you know, if you're a therapist interested in nature-based practice or in business, like I'm starting this list, join here and I'll send you some information. Um, So that, that kind of was already in place when I started the podcast, then I could email those people to say, Hey, I started a podcast. If you want to listen, you know, like, Um, and, and since then that has, the podcast, I think has been a huge, um, way for me to kind of gather like-minded OT entrepreneurs who are interested in learning about business and, and to also just celebrate what OT entrepreneurs are doing. I mean, there are so many fabulous OT business owners out there that, that, before didn't really have a space to mm-hmm. be highlighted or celebrated or kind of had their their wisdom shared with the world, you know? So that's kind of how I see the Mind Your OT Business podcast is like a platform for OT entrepreneurship to kind of not, not be so sidelined anymore. I, I feel mm-hmm. like there are awesome, I've said it before, I'll say it again, there are awesome physical therapists and speech therapists doing entrepreneurship related content. Not as many OTs out there, yeah. like putting stuff out in the world, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I want us to not be in, I want us to be in the limelight. I want us to be like leaders 
in the entrepreneurship space among therapists that are not just OTs. I want us to be leading other professionals too. And that's what, you know, Trish and I, as we were planning the summit this year, we were like, well, should we focus on just OTs? We're like, yes, for this year, just OTs, you know, like, but, but, you know, in future years, we don't know what it will grow into. And I think both Trish and I have talked about how we want OTs to be, I think Trish used like out of obscurity, you know, like, Mm. like, I don't know that right now people in other fields are looking to OTs as entrepreneurship experts when we should be, because we are just so holistic, so creative, doing such innovative things in the world. And I feel like other professions have a lot to learn from us. We just need a sure. platform from which to yes. <laughs> from which to do it, you know? So <laughs> And people yeah. that are really confident with sharing that value and, and understanding yeah. kind of OT's role in in the business world and, and what we can bring and once we can like really articulate that and share it and be and feel empowered. Yes. You know, that's gonna make a huge difference. And then people will start coming to us. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I think your question was, what do you offer for free and what do you offer paid? Oh. I've, I've, I've heard before that you should, you can never give away too much for free. Like people will always be like, well, if okay. the free content is this good, like what's the paid content like? Right. right? Um, but yeah. I will say there are some things that like I've decided as I've grown my business, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to share that on the email list anymore. Like I used to have on, and maybe people listening have heard this or seen it, I, on the email, um, on my email automation that I send out to people that are email subscribers, I used to like go inside my bank account and show how I manage my finances. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm not, I did that for the summit paid, Mm -hmm. right. That's paid people paid to be there. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to share that anymore for free. Like that's going to be like in my paid programs or in the summit where people can go inside my bank account because I don't, I think too often we don't, maybe part of us being empowered as OT entrepreneurs is to start talking about money a little more honestly too, and be more honest about whether Mm -hmm. our businesses are actually profitable. I think a lot of times people can grandstand and act like they're running this really successful business when they're not profitable. Um, Uh And we don't know that because nobody's sharing their real numbers, right? So I'm like, well, I'll share mine. It doesn't look really pretty sometimes, but... (laughs) But yeah. here's what happens when it doesn't look pretty. Here's what you do. And this is how I manage it. When it when it looks like, oh, no, I don't have enough money here. What do you do? Well, that's what I'm sharing when I go behind the scenes nice. in my budgeting software and show people, like, how do you budget yeah. running a small practice, you know? So anyway. No, I think that's really good. And kind of no matter where listeners are in this process, whether they're still not really identifying themselves as someone who might be an entrepreneur or whether they already are an entrepreneur, anything right. in between you know, this idea of being transparent with one another. And I think the more we are, we share, of course, there's a whole thing is oversharing, but we, we won't get into that. Um, yeah. But <laughs> but the more we can share, the more we're going to hear from other people. And it really does take all of us to make the best yeah. products and to offer the best services. And it goes back to that helper mentality, right? That yeah. to really most effectively help others, we need to share with other practitioners and we need to hear from them um, yes. so that we're, we're just providing the best care without needing to kind of make all the same mistakes as each other. We'll make our own mistakes. Right. Uh, let's maybe try to avoid making some of the ones that our, our colleagues and friends have made. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that transparency is huge. Yeah. And I, I just want to say really quick, cause that oversharing, I think the filter for that is always, and this is what I try to filter everything I put on social media or anything mm-hmm. I put out there. Like, what is the purpose of this information for people is the purpose to show people like how awesome my business is because we have profit. No, that's not my purpose at all. Like 
you some of the videos I show are like, oh, I don't have enough money for payroll. Guess what happens now? Okay, I look at other categories <laughs> and I find where, you know, like, right. so so I think like, what's the purpose behind that? Like if you're, mm. if you really, and you know, if you're in tune with your own heart, you know what the purpose is. If the purpose yeah. is to like make yourself look great or if the purpose is truly, maybe you do look great. Maybe you, maybe you did something awesome, but you're, you're sharing it because it's inspirational to other people. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But if you're sharing it because like you need the feedback yourself to feel good about what you're doing, then that's maybe put hit pause and kind of right. figure out why, you know, like, cause you can overshare and it can be awkward for people like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> so oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you have to have that kind of filter up and just make sure that you're thinking of the, the intended consequence for your mm. customer and for the people that you care about that you're sharing right. it with, you know? Right, because we want to, you know, we're we're entrusting our our audience, whether it's on social media, whether it's your clients, they trust us, and they yes. allow us onto their phones, um, onto their yes. browser, like they allow us into their space. And what are we putting there that we know they're going to yes. consume? So like, what are we putting there, and what does it what does it give to them? I think is is kind of bouncing off of what you're saying. I think that's important to think about. Yeah, because we value their time. We just talked about how time yeah. is so valuable. If you spend so an hour listening to us talk. Thank you. Like that. You should, I hope that it was, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I, I really mm-hmm. hope that there's value in whatever we put out as OTs into the world. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, just on your social media, like what are you exactly. communicating to the world about OT on your own personal Instagram page or whatever? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's huge. So I, I think this conversation has been really empowering and exciting. I think these are conversations that are happening so much on the platforms that you are running and facilitating. And I think we just need more of it always. I think yeah, it's so it's contagious, these conversations. And when mm-hmm. we, so once we start thinking in this light and we start thinking about the possibility of having that, that leverage really as an entrepreneur, that leverage to help more people, that leverage yes. to identify what our what our little niche in OT is or um, what we can provide for our clients that we just don't think they're getting. Once we kind of start thinking that way, it's exciting. We want to talk about it more. And so I would highly recommend check out the show notes uh, because I think I'm just going to link to everything you do, all the resources you've mentioned. Oh, thank you. Um, and I feel like once you get started in it, I, like I said, I'm not even an entrepreneur, right? I don't make money <laughs> on this podcast. I don't, I spend, I spend money on this podcast, but I don't make any. Um, <laughs> But just, I joined the summit. I'm, you know, following entrepreneurial podcasts. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you just want to keep learning more. And then one day that might turn into something um, yes. when the timing is right. But so I'm really excited about this conversation. And a lot of what you talk about is sort of that next step, like that next thing. And so what would you say would be the next thing for someone listening who has an idea? They're still in that beginning stage of, you know, they have that, that inkling towards entrepreneurship, but right now they're at the idea stage. What's what, what might their next step be? Hmm. I think the first step for every single person who wants to start a business before they do anything, before they incorporate or get a book about business or anything is to identify what need they are meeting. What is the problem you are solving with your business? You have to be so laser focused and clear about that. Um, and secondly, then you need to identify who your ideal client is. Because a business that serves everyone really is serving no one. <laughs> so you, 
You have to know the problem you're solving for the specific person that you're solving it for. And if you get clear on that, then start your business and get all the business books and read Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand and do all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that's, that's the absolute first step or two that I would say people should do. And that actually, the next question was, what's your book recommendation? Because I love getting book recommendations from folks. And we have the the OT book club that's starting up this summer. Oh, that looked so, I was like, I can't add one more thing. I'm no. controlling myself to not post on this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm always looking now to get ideas of what oh, we can so offer great. as a potential uh, book for the following month. So um, it's a little bit of a selfish question. I'm also an avid reader. So I help, I, you know, I let my guests kind of curate my reading list. You mentioned Donald Miller. Um, what was yeah. that book called again? So he has two, actually. I'm the yeah. The first one he wrote a year, two years ago, maybe. It's called "Building a Story Brand." Um, clarify your message so customers will listen. Basically, he he's a novelist. So he's written tons of novels, but he has recently shifted to marketing and is helping mm-hmm. people learn how to write clearly for customers and how to use story, the, the elements of story, to put the content on your website and things to get people to take action and buy from you. Um, he, his second book that second book on marketing just came out. He has tons of other books, but (laughs) with, um, the co-host of his podcast, Dr. JJ Peterson, um, is called marketing made simple. And I'm reading that Mm -hmm. one right now. Highly recommend that one too. But I also have to give a shout out because I also just read (laughs) because it's amazing. But this one might actually be most relevant. I would say like the Donald Miller books um, aren't as comprehensive as this one. Um, the One Page Marketing Plan. Ooh, it's by okay. Alan Dibb, D as in dog, I-B as in boy. Um, and he self-published it a, a couple of years ago, I think, but it has tons of good reviews on Amazon. and It is very comprehensive. I would say it's a very good... Um, first book to buy if you're starting a business and want to learn kind of what the pro like how do you set up an email list and then how do you give people something for free and how do you nurture that relationship and how do you ask them to buy it's like very comprehensive so I would say that one and I just read that one a lot of it was stuff I already knew but I appreciated it I appreciated the the fact that he has written such a dense value-packed book that has so much helpful content in it for how to market your services as a small business. So I would say it's on like my top five business books list. And I just read it, you know, five years into running a business. So um, I wish I'd had it when I first started. It's such a great book. So that would be even maybe before Donald, sorry, Donald Miller, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, so those are, those are some really good ones to start with. So. Awesome. Thank you for those recommendations. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to start with that one. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds oh, really valuable. Great. And I love that what you're, you you talked about sort of from like the beginning, but just like setting up an email list. But the fact that it talks about that and it talks about things that are relevant for you, who's a, a fairly seasoned mm-hmm. businesswoman, I like the fact that that book provides value across the whole spectrum of experience sounds like it's a really yes. good one. Yeah. Yes, that is absolutely why I would recommend it. It's it's one you want to own and like write mm, in, you know, yeah. it's it's not a library checkout, although no sure. one can really check out from libraries in California right now anyway because of COVID, right. but <laughs> I get my but, audiobooks, but some some of these yeah. you really want to have, you know, in your hand. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. 
<laughs> I actually have a library book that I got out. I got a deep work, which is also really good. But I got oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I read that yeah. years ago. Yep. Yeah, I, Cal Newport. I got out that book. Oh, my gosh. December. I still haven't returned it because I can't return it to the library. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not I have, CDs, so that's good. But. I have one that is like a vintage. It costs $1,000 on Amazon because it's not in publication anymore. It's called the um, the rest- restorative experience of nature, the, the wow. experience of nature or something by like the original researchers who came up with one of these nature-based theories called oh, attention so cool. restoration theory. So I, I had it on loan from the library and it was due in mid-March, but now I've got to keep it for a while <laughs> longer awesome. because I can't, I mean, I literally cannot purchase, like I can't afford to sure. purchase it, no, but it's like not... a seminal book in my research. Like, so it's been really fun I to have it for, that way. yeah, an extended period of time. I actually <laughs> think they charge a $100 replacement fee. I'm like, oh, I could save $900 if I just right. lost this book, but that would be unethical. So I'm not going to yeah, do yeah. it. <laughs> Disclaimer, Laura's not about to go do this. Don't right, right. I won't. I will return it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, thank you for those book recommendations. And then as we wrap up, I always ask, you know, what people thought of the wine they were drinking and then I'll reflect on it as well. So I know you said this is kind of a go-to for you. It was light and refreshing and the perfect midday half a glass because it's like, it was like one thirty when we started recording. Right. I was like, I don't usually drink wine at like one thirty, yeah. <laughs> but it was perfect. It's like crisp and light, not too sweet. It was good. That's good. It's always good to have one of those on hand. Yeah. This wine, my my description is boring because I don't know no, anything okay. about wine. I, you know, I'm not a wine connoisseur. I see. I can't even say the word. Um, but I do love wine, and I love learning more. And I don't have it with me, but I have this whole wine circle chart that shows all the different types of flavors and sort of hierarchy yeah. of sort of, yeah. So I try to use that and I try to really question what I'm drinking. So it's fun, but I am no connoisseur. Cool. Absolutely not. Yeah. I think it's always good just to have a conversation over a glass of wine. I love it. So that's why we do It's lovely. Podcast. I love it. Thanks. Um, so as I mentioned, I was drinking Gnarly Head. That's the winemaker. And then it's their, their authentic red. It's oh, just a red blend. And I chose it. I chose this one because of the word authentic. And I know, mm. Laura, that is something you really value is being authentic. You're very yeah. transparent through all of the different ways that you reach out to your audience um, and your clients. And you you truly just want to be yourself and be your best self so that they can be the best, mm. their best selves as well. So I chose authentic, but then also um, the words they use to describe it. So first of all, it's gnarly head. So it's talking about these twisted vines that are kind of, it's just very natural. It's not that, it's not the vineyard that you wow. imagine that's like perfect and pristine. Like this cool. is like, honestly, I, I sort of picture just kind of like ugly a little bit. Like it's just all these yeah. vines and cropping around, but that wild. is, that is nature. That is, that is wild. It is what, yeah. um, grapevines really look like and so I thought that really played into your nature-based OT and just like getting oh, into I nature this is not like the like you know cookie cutter like yeah beautiful pristine vineyard so I love that and the words they use to describe it are because it's a very it's a bold wine um they, they talk about life living living your life boldly and you know that it's fearless and that it's it's so intense and the fruit flavors are just so concentrated but it matches the passions of the people that drink it. And just with this, this moment of like intensity is where passion grows yeah. from. And I just felt like there were so many parallels between um, what I've talked with you about and this wine. So 
I love this. Like it almost made me cry as you were describing it. I just love it. I love it. And I have to go get it now. It's going to be my like favorite wine, whether I like the taste yeah. of it or not. You know? Yeah. You're, you're going to have, and they have a bunch of other different wines too that um, have the, they, their whole brand is really about this, like authenticity and boldness and, and kind yeah. of living life on the edge is kind of their branding. So I love it. Yeah. And Show then, me the label. Um, Can I see the oh, label? Sure, Let me see yeah. So it's all these like sort of okay. just inner round vines. It's nothing, yeah, it's nothing kind of crazy. Silver, a silver label with like a gnarly yeah. tree. Okay, cool. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I don't and know then, what to look for. It was good. I would say so the first like sip I had of it and sort of the nose on it because before you drink wine, you you want to like really inhale it and really get a sense of the smell. And so I really got this strong like, leathery smell, which when we use words like leathery, you're making a face. I love it. When you use words like leathery to describe a wine, it sounds like why would I ever want to drink that? But really, it's more like the nose on it is this very like leathery thing. And that told me a little bit that it's, it's pretty tannic um, because actually... They use tannins also in leatherwork, so that's where that kind of oh, yeah, smell. Yeah. It made sense that it would have that smell. It's not like it was sitting in a boot, you know what I mean? You know, it's it's a right. it's a favorable smell, and it was definitely very fruit forward. So lots of those like deep red fruits that you're gonna find mm-hmm. in a lot of red blends. Um, a little bit of spice in there. I think sort of the um, like the leathery part of it like really came through a lot. Yeah, but it's no, it's a pretty good red blend. Yeah, lots of fruits tannic but but very bold uh easy to drink though so okay and how much is it how much do you pay for a bottle of authentic (laughs) red boldness oh you know it really varies I I think I've gotten it as cheap as like seven or eight dollars okay so it's not like super it's not a super fancy okay this is what I call a table wine I've I've commented on other episodes before about how some of my friends make fun of me when I'm like, well, this is a table wine, but it's the wine that, you know, you're making dinner. It like literally just pairs well with like pizza. You know what I mean? Right. So if, right. Like you're just having a normal dinner and you're like, yeah, I think a red would go well with this. This is like a good go-to pretty standard. Um, so that's okay. a good table wine. Yeah. It's cool. not, it's not super expensive at all. Um, it's, it's really affordable. So yeah, so that's my, my little wine recommendation for the day. Let me know what you think of it when you try it. I will. I loved it. I just loved your description. I'm like, yes, that's my wine. That's my like person yes. in a wine bottle. Like, I- yes. <laughs> that's, I think, so fun for me just to, for every episode to pair a wine with it. Yeah. I love it. Like there's wine and cheese pairings, but there's like wine and podcast pairings. That's what I do. Yes, so there you go. It's, I love it. I love that. Yeah. That's the theme. It's so fun. It's a fun little element of the podcast. Yeah. And so in the show notes, I'm going to link to all the resources you talked about, all of your different websites and social media so people can connect. Is there um, one sort of best place for them to connect with you? I would say with most of the stuff we've talked about here, probably Mind Your OT Business is the best website, mindyourotbusiness.com. And you can kind of link to other, that goes, there's, you can explore that there. All connected. Um, And my private practice is just OutdoorKidsOT.com if people want to okay, see the great. nature-based stuff. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your wisdom and uh, just getting us excited about entrepreneurship and the role that OT can have in this. I, it was such a pleasure. This is just my jam. I love it. And it was like, I was such in a flow. I don't even know what time it is right now. It was so fun. Miranda, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of OT Uncorked. If you like what you heard, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. The more you review, the more easily other OTs can find our content. There's so many great OT podcasts. You can go to otpodcast.com for a list of other ones. 
And the more we share these podcasts in our favorite OT online communities or real life communities, the more we're able to provide great content that unites our community and empowers each other to continue doing the great work that OTs are doing all over the world. So please check out that website, listen to OT podcasts and share them. We thank you for doing that. I also just want to remind you, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that our next episode of OT Uncorked is going to be a little bit of a Q&A introductory episode to who I am and a little bit more history about the podcast. So if you have questions, I invite you to drop them in my inbox, whether on Instagram, Facebook, in my email, Miranda at OTUncorked.com, wherever we're connected, reach out. I'd love to know your questions and be able to answer those for you on the next episode. I'm excited because that next episode is going to be published the same week of my wedding. So this is sort of a celebratory episode to give you a little bit of insight into who I am and what I'm up to. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.